When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Eric Jackson here. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the first 100 Days Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Eric Scott is uh, traveling today. Gives me the opportunity to talk to, to to new people. Very exciting. This is your first. This is your Sportacast debut, I believe, right? This is my debut, man. This is my debut. I'm, I'm pitch hitting today for uh, Scott. It, it took way too long to get you uh, to get you on the show, and we're gonna do something a little bit different this episode usually scott and i are bouncing around topic to topic about the news instead you and i are going to dive deep into a topic that you just dove deep into for sportico over the weekend you published a big story about the first hundred days of josh harris's ownership of the commanders a fascinating look at how new owners take control of the reins especially when the previous owner uh, <laughs> and so many people felt so many ways about him i guess maybe the place to start Let's let's go inside the journalism for a second. You've been working on this story for about a hundred days, about as long as Josh right, has know, been working know, on the Commanders. Right. Walk walk us through how you approached it. What your plan was to get as much information as possible from who you wanted, and then start putting it all together. Yeah, no, that's a uh, really good question. I mean, I, I really I, I started honestly from like a presidential mind. I'm, I'm kind of into politics myself, and I just. You know, we know the 100 days, right, for every president is what's on the priority list, right? And who's involved, the uh, constituents, if you will. So, you know, I thought of, of, obviously, we think of the fans, of course, but I think of the players, I think of former players. I thought of, obviously, locally there, right, the jurisdictions and the politicians there. So I was literally thinking, trying to put myself in, you know, Josh's shoes, quite frankly, right? And who am I trying to, who am I trying to appease, right, or, you know, rebuild trust with in the community? So I thought about all those factions and really just tried to, you know, uh, break off for each, uh, each portion. Right. So I think I went back to DC at least a few times, three different times in the last, I don't know, a couple of months or so, but, um, each time I try to kind of focus on a different group. So maybe the first time I guess was, you know, more about fans and being in the parking lot, just, uh, you know, some interesting interviews there that I couldn't use. Right. Some, uh, (laughs) some fans who had maybe one too many, but, you know, just trying to get a feel right of their perspective and, you know, so touching base with them. And then, of course, it's, you know, then you transition, right? You go into the locker room and you talk to the current players, right? And how they're feeling about the whole thing. And, you know, some could like, you could tell that weren't too really, you know, they're focusing on their job, right? And then you could tell some who were a little bit more curious about the process, too. So I thought that was interesting. And then the former players, right? I mean, they had almost 200 former players there for Alumni Day, which was crazy. So, 
you know, getting there, that, that was the most they ever had for that annual event that they do for the alumni. So, you know, I think that just says a lot, right, about where the transition is, right? A lot of people wouldn't show up for Dan. And I don't know if you saw Daryl Green last Sunday was saying, you know, that was his first time in 20 years being there at FedEx, which, um, you know, another nod to just the new, the, you know, the new group there. So, yeah, man, just, I think I just came in just trying to, uh, Touch every single, you know, stakeholder, if, if you will. It's pretty remarkable how, and again, Dan Snyder, who owned this team for 24 years, a, a tenure that was dominated by bad headlines, congressional inquiries, uh, lawsuits, uh, uh, sexual harassment allegations, just a whole bunch of, of bad things. In, in a lot of ways, we knew that Josh was going to get credit just for not being Dan. <laughs> That, right, that in some right. ways, that, that the bar's low, right? The it bar's was a low. low bar that he was replacing. You start your story with this anecdote of, of of being at an event where where Commanders fans are chanting "Thank you, Josh" at, at an appearance <laughs> of his. I find this so funny because you don't. The, Steve Cohen got this a little when he bought the Mets a few years right. ago and was spending at a level that suddenly Mets fans felt good about. But it's so rare, I feel like, for for owners to be treated with this kind of yeah. reverence. And Josh got that right at the start. Uh, it really, I think, in my opinion, sets the tone for for your whole piece, but also just for this kind of weird moment that we're in with the Commanders, where whoever bought that team, I think, whether it was Josh Harris or somebody else, was automatically going to get a lot of adoration that I think new sports owners don't always get when, when they take oh, over yeah. for the last guy. No, definitely, and I think it helps. He's from the area, right? I think that helps a little too. And but you're right, and obviously this is the honeymoon period, right? As we know, <laughs> yeah. we've seen this, right? So. You know, let, we got to let time go. But, you know, as I put in the story, I think the efforts there on, you know, Josh and his ownership group. But, uh, yeah, definitely. The, they're off to a good start in the honeymoon, though. Absolutely. It's funny. When, when he when when he bought the team, Scott and I on the show talked a lot about the, the kind of big ticket things that he needed to accomplish. They need a new stadium. He obviously wants to make right. that happen. There's questions about whether this team is going to be named the commanders in the next couple of years or not. There, there were some very big things. One of the things I thought was so interesting about your piece is that it seems like in the first hundred days, I think this is really smart, he was prioritizing a, a much larger list of simpler things that he could accomplish immediately, either right. by a single phone call or a single check or whatever. Walk, walk us through some of those things, the, the, the things that maybe most fans didn't realize or didn't hear about that actually does make a difference with these constituents that you're talking about. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think... Maybe the smaller things in maybe Josh's mind is like things you could see immediately changing, right? Like, you know, the big things are going to take a while, right? But yeah. the, the smaller things. So, you know, I, man, it's crazy because it's, it's, it's everything from new stoves, you know, the, the new hot tubs. So they, so Josh and Mitch Rails, right? They sat down with players for private dinners as well as lunches, mm -hmm. right? So, and I think in those feedbacks, the players were like, look, we need more hot tubs for recovery and other things. Immediately, they go and expand the hot tubs, right? Hey, we need a luxury tent for, you know, after the games, my family, um, you know, to have a more private place to kind of conjugate. And then sure enough, in lot B, the player's lot, now there's a luxury tent, right? So I think those are sort of the things from the player's app, uh, standpoint. And then from the fans, you know, uh, Josh was kind of mentioning some of the things he maybe wasn't prepared for was like getting phone calls about, you know, the leaks that are happening in the restrooms and stuff and the plumbing. <laughs> so there's already been those investments to fix those things. Things that, you know, a fan might not, I guess, realize, but, you know, those are expensive sort of infrastructure things that are, are already being taken place. And, you know, FedEx, right, was built in 97, right? So there's, uh, it's definitely, you know, 
they got they're putting the band-aid on if you will but right now so that's kind of the things you know i really just think that were really interesting that he immediately wanted to come in and fix um from an infrastructure standpoint and then the players right the 42nd play clock I know Eric B. is trying to get his uh, That's at the practice situation. facility, right? Right, yeah. at the practice facility, the 40-second play clock. I thought that was uh, really interesting. And then you also see there's more investment that you're seeing, like in the analytics and the scouting side as well, I guess, after talking to um, the GM there, Mayhew. So, yeah, it's from a football standpoint and a fan standpoint. I think Josh immediately was just trying to have some sort of you know, things you can touch and see immediately, right? And I think the bigger things, new stadium and, you know, well, we'll see what the name change. But some of those bigger things, I think it will take some time. But he, he even changed traffic patterns, right? Getting getting in and out of the stadium. I thought that was fascinating also. Yeah, yeah. Working with the state, you know, the local and federal, right? And I don't know if that's something Dan would have been able to, to, to pull off. <laughs> my, right? my gut so. says no. Yeah. Not a lot of good favor or good political will for Dan in that yeah. city. Right yeah. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, and they say, you know, the team is saying that's helped ingress, ingress, you know, cut the time by like, what, like, roughly 40 minutes, right? So that, that those are just some of the things that immediately you can come in and fix. You know, they, they expanded the kitchen, and, uh, you know, I know they're working with some of their third-party vendors as well. So, yeah, those are just all those things. And one thing I thought was interesting, so they used to have executive suites, right, They for um, at FedEx Field, you know, for people who work there, right, and the business executives and everybody going during the game. And there's so much demand now for premium areas that they've taken those spaces <laughs> and literally changed them out. So, you know, and like I mentioned the story, that's one of those problems you, you want to have, right? They got to go find a place to hang out, a new place to hang out during the games. But that's a, it's a good problem to have that, the you know, people want demand in those areas and so. That, that's that reminds me of of uh, earlier this year. You and I were at LAFC Stadium, um, and, and they were talking about when when Messi comes to play, how things that are not ticketed areas all the time might become ticketed areas for for, for that one game because there's so much pressure, there's so much demand for seats. It's such a good problem to have, right? When when you're like, well, what else can we sell because we have all these people that want to want to buy it? And you write write in your story that the, the at some point early this year the Commanders had had topped the NFL in new club ticket sales, right? So, right, so that is right. in some ways rubber meeting the road. The 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 easy uh, obvious through line there that 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 there's there's a lot more demand. They're they found found new inventory as you're saying, and, and that is proof in the pudding at least that some of these things some of these things are working. I think this is a really smart move by by the Harris Group to to get these small wins. Right? These right. What is what is a new luxury tent for players cost? What is a thirty a forty second play clock at the at the practice right. facility cost? Like these are not huge line items, but they they do engender a lot of goodwill. Right at right at the start. Uh, another thing I want to ask you about the the ownership group. It's it's twenty plus people, uh, including Magic Johnson, who becomes one of a fairly small group of black uh, minority owners in in the NFL. I know you spent some time with Magic as well. What's your read on on beyond Josh, the ownership group as a whole, and maybe spend some time on on Magic specifically in terms of what someone like him, who well known athlete, well known post career as as a businessman, what he brings to a group like this at this time yeah no definitely I think you know and I mentioned the story here you know I think Magic's personality if, if, if you haven't seen him before or been around him before it's, it's larger than life it's big. right? And yeah. I think, <laughs> it's yeah. bigger than he is and he's huge yeah right and I think you know and that's helpful internally and in getting staffers and other people you know Magic's one of those people who you know is really generous with his time and is 
you know, we'll talk to anybody from lower level staff, you know, it, it just really doesn't matter. So I think that's really helpful from an internal standpoint, but also externally, you know, Magic's already gone out to, you know, different neighborhoods, especially predominantly black ones. And he's already been out there front and center and almost like a politician, really, in a lot of ways. And, you know, just uh, being there and... um I think that's just a good representation for people in the, just the area to see. It is Chocolate City, right? So yep. I think I met some people in D.C. who were never Commanders fans ever. And they were like, well, Magic's on board. You know, maybe I will start to be a Commanders fan now, right? And I, I think that's just really interesting how someone has, someone like Magic can uh, just completely just make you more interested in the team that's always been around. You know, you, you these are D.C. natives that I talk to and – you know, now they're, you know, starting to take an interest, right? And I saw a lot of kid, a lot of young kids that Magic talked to. And, you know, it's really tapping that next gen, that next generation, right? I think, you know, he was talking to like the middle school and really young kids. And, you know, it, it sounds cheesy, but those kind of moments where you, uh, I think a young kid can kind of capture that with Magic and have that moment, you know, you can be a Commanders fan for life after that, you know? So it's, and I know Josh and them are thinking in those, you know, now obviously, they're focused on the broader community, not just the black community. But I think that's definitely uh, a benefit having someone like Magic um, a part of. Your I group. think Forbes just just said Magic was a billionaire. I think that happened this this week. So so he obviously has a, a lot of money. He's been very successful right. after after his NBA career. Uh, I still think there's a lot of people who see these celebrity minority investments in teams, Jay Z in the in the Nets, for example, right. and kind of roll their eyes and they're like, "What is he buying? Like a one percent? Like what is he actually bringing?" I think what you just said answers that question, right? Magic is obviously the economics are going to work out well for him by buying an NFL team always does, but Magic is is uniquely suited, I think, in a lot of ways, especially yeah. in a sport like football where there are very few black minority owners. I think he brings so much to the table in terms of what you said, reaching those communities. And then also when the stadium talks start to happen, who do I want meeting with politicians? I don't want Josh Harris meeting with politicians. I want Magic Johnson meeting with politicians, right? right? right. Like he is, he, he has a charisma. He has an ability to command a room that I think is exactly what you want on the front line of some of those discussions. Yeah, and even the players, right? Like Terry McLaurin has already mm. said, you know, he's already had that really good uh, dialogue and conversation with Magic and, you know, I know Magic went to some practices last month and they're, you know, they're asking him everything, you know, business tips, what's it like in the NBA, just, you know, and I think it's inter- it's rare that you see active players, you know, looking up to a uh, owner with so, athletic great, great advice, and, yeah. you know what I mean? Just like, I think that's just super rare. Michael and Jordan probably achieved that. Michael Jordan, NBA, right, right. You're right. It's probably right. actually fairly rare. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, an offer, Magic's offered to be sort of a mentor to the players already. And, you know, we'll see how much he can do. You know, obviously, the NFL has their own, you know, rules on business and, you know, what you can, uh, investment-wise, what you can help with, I guess, and how close you can get to it all. But Magic's certainly a resource there. And, um, you know, I think guys will definitely listen to some of those business tips. So let's, let's talk about the, the commercial opportunities here. The, the, the way the NFL works, every team gets a, a pretty huge check of the national revenue. And what sets teams apart business-wise is, is what they're able to generate locally. 
and and the commanders in the in recent years have really struggled in that regard. I think by estimates right. they're twenty second or twenty first in in national or in local revenue ranking right. across the NFL. They were once top five, from what I understand. When when Dan bought this team, it was the most valuable sports team in the world. I will say that again. In nineteen ninety nine, when Dan Snyder bought this team, it was the most valuable sports team in the world. It's it's probably not top top ten right now, or if it is, it's right at the end of that. Um, but the, the team, as you say in your story, signed 12 new sponsors or 12 extensions and new, sp- yeah. new sponsors in, in just the past, in the first hundred days. Uh, what did you get a sense about the, the business growth or business changes that, that the team has already seen in, in these first hundred days? Yeah, well, I think like Anheuser-Busch coming back into the fold says a lot too, right? And, you know, and I, I know Jason, I spoke with him and I know they're hoping – so the new ownership group got there right before training camp, right? So they were in an awkward point in the sponsorship cycle. Yeah. So they're really hoping to rev up in this next cycle. You know, 12 is really good, but I think they're really have really ambitious for this next one coming around because they have open categories, right, still. So I think um, – and I think Josh would even say this. You know, they've done well, but I think even this next one coming around with a little more runway, I think uh, they have a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, and they – I think it's been really smart that the way they've made some changes around the stadium, like the new scoreboards that have come in are wider, right? So you can create more assets, more space for assets, right? So you, another value proposition to sponsors, right? So they can place their branding or whatever on the, on the, the new scoreboards, you know, just little things like that, that just create more value for sponsors. And, um, and they're, you know, I, I believe their scoreboard was grandfathered in. There's a certain height mm-hmm. that new scoreboards have to abide by, but, FedEx is kind of grandfathered in. So, you know, that's another opportunity to take advantage of that with, you know, more uh, sponsors getting branding there. And so, yeah, no, it's been a, you could just totally tell, uh, I think Tad explained to me, like a breath of fresh air, just going back into the market and under new ownership. And plus, I think one thing is interesting too with HBSC, you know, the parent company, Josh's for the Sixers and Devils, yeah. they can leverage that connectivity too, right? So, we don't have a sponsor yet that ha- is with the devil sponsor mm-hmm. of the devils, you know, Sixers commanders yet, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised soon that you start to see, um, you know, some of these deals that, you know, can connect across um, the different brands there. So when, when Josh's group was raising money for this bid, th- there was a, a document that they were sharing with prospective investors. Um, I have seen that document. I, I took some notes off of it when I, when I looked at it and, and some things that jump out to me now that we're having this conversation, I wrote some of these down. The, 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 the local sponsorship revenue that they had written in for, for last year, they had around $52 million. The base case for, for this year was $55 million. Something tells me that in the twelve new sponsorship deals, maybe they they got a little bit more than than a three yeah. million dollar bump. So they're probably doing pretty well there. Um, the 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 ranking for the team in in local revenue, um, they project in the next ten years to go from twenty second to sixth. The the upside case, so the high end case with a new stadium, they project that as, as third in the league, right? So there, there's some really right. high revenue target expectations here. Um, and then in valuation, the, they, they had this as a 10 year hold. So if, mm. if they were to sell the team in 10 years, the, the base case they had as the commanders worth $15 billion in, in, in 2032, the upside case had this team at $19 billion, wow. uh, after the 10 year hold. 
uh, and it's fascinating. We don't actually get too often the the actual kind of projections of NFL ownership groups in terms of what they expect. But I see two things in those numbers, and I want to get your thoughts. The first thing I see is there was meat on the bone in Washington that he believed right. that they were going to be able to to, 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 to to get very quickly. And then secondly, that the NFL is a business that is going to continue to grow at, at very, very fast exponential rates over the next decade, as we've seen in the past two decades. Um, so I think it's it's two things. I think it is an, an opportunity specifically in Washington and then also just NFL ownership uh, a, on the national scale. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's funny you said it. it's like because right now what they're 20 something right now in local revenue. 20 seconds, still- yeah. That's still pretty dang good, though, you know, thinking of the overhaul being in the NFL, right? So it's Yeah, it's, teams yeah. in any other league would love to have the, have the local right, revenue right. of the commanders, yeah. yeah, even last year. Yeah. So it's like so relative, right? But yeah, no, and they're, you know, I mentioned the story here. They're uh, hoping to double that, right, which I'm sure they will by the end of the decade. And, you know, if they get the new stadium, which it seems inevitable, you know, those numbers can look, you know, considerably more. Right. So um, and kind of the things we mentioned, right, in the stadium series we did, you know, if they can get a potentially a smaller stadium. Right. And, you know, charge premium and be operating that. And there's, there's those are whole opportunities there once the stadium comes on board. But but, yeah, no, there's so much runway. And I think that you said it well. There was meat on the bone to begin with. Right. Yeah. I think I don't think Josh does this deal if he didn't feel like, um, you know, he could really take advantage and, you know, make the most out of that. So. Scott always likes to say that that new owners don't want turnkey. That they want to buy something that they have some room to kind of pull some strings, make their put their own stamp right. on, and the, the commanders feel like the, the perfect opportunity for that, right? That yeah, again, but because of the previous ownership group, because things had fallen so much in terms of attendance, in, in terms of gate revenue, sponsorship, etc., uh, this feels like the perfect opportunity there. I want to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago. You mentioned HBSE. Um, that is Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. It is the group that owns the 76ers and, and the Devils, the now partner, I guess, partner teams to in some ways yeah. to, to yeah. the Washington Commanders. Uh, what did you get in your reporting understanding of, of what the relationship is like there? Are they sharing executives? Are they sharing ideas? You mentioned potentially sharing partners at some sort. Um, I think there's still a lot of confusion out there about what what the relationship is between the rest of of the, of the Harris uh, portfolio relative to the commanders. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And that was one of the main priorities when I started this reporting process um, that I really wanted to try to get as clear as possible. And, you know, uh, Tad Brown, the HBSC CEO, will be there to support Jason. And, you know, Jason's not uh, reporting to Tad or anything like that's that. That's Jason but Wright, who runs the Jason the Jason Wright, the, the, the president, the yeah. president of Commanders. Yeah. Um, but they're there as a support system for sure. And, you know, there will be shared services, right? Financial, legal, and obviously the legal situation is different than the Commanders, than the, the Sixers and the Devils. But um, there will be a lot of those kind of shared services there. And um, I think one thing that was interesting is, uh, what was it, uh, you know, recently, within weeks, they had the big on-site meeting at the Prudential Center, right? Mm-hmm. And that had executives from the Sixers, Devils, Commanders. And, you know, when these things happen, I think of, like, only senior level people are coming together. But, no, it was, you know, even lower level executives, your counterpart of the other team. What, mm-hmm. we can, what can we learn from? What What do you do? Maybe we can, you know, you even at the operations level, you, you had um, – 
Daryl Morey, right, the GM, talking with the, you know, Mayhew, with the commander's GM, you know. So, every, like, even the, even the general managers of the team, right? Like, we're not even talking to executives, but even the GMs of the teams are trading notes, right? So, I think, and everybody, it's all reported back up, right? I think uh, to Blitz and then, of course, the Jots. But, uh, yeah, I think that's really interesting how they are all coming under this umbrella. And, you know, for Jason, I'm sure it's different than what it was like before. I'm sure it's... He's under his own, uh, you know, transition himself, working for a whole new organization the, in that sense. The tentacles of this ownership group are are wild, right? The, yeah. So David Blitzer, who is the partner in HBSE, is a minority investor in the Commanders. He is, we think, the first human to have equity stakes in teams in all five major U.S. leagues. Sports fan dream. And, and, and he, he owns eight or nine European soccer teams at this point. He and Josh are both partners in, in Crystal Palace, an English Premier League team. Um, just between the two of them, there's there's franchise ownership in like 15, 20 different teams. They are trying to get a new arena in Philadelphia, which I know you've yeah. written about. So yeah. they're going to be trying on, on, on two fronts to be getting new buildings at some point soon in, in D.C. and in in Philadelphia. The, the, yeah. the learnings, the all of the stuff that you're talking about, if you want to expand the, the portfolio, the Arcto Sports Partners, the sports-based private equity fund that, that we talk about a lot, has done 20 plus deals in sports. Uh, they are in, in, invested in HBSC, not invested in the commanders uh, because it's not allowed, but but obviously their relationship is there to a degree. Um, yeah, if you want to pull the threads on, on this ownership group and the many, many, many other sports assets that they have, it really is quite a fascinating yeah. look at, at modern sports ownership. Yeah, I mean, you didn't even get into like woman skating rink uh-huh. and, you know, you have Ripken. the Ripken at the UFLA. I mean... And Crystal Palace executives were at this on-site meeting mm. too. So you have even you have even uh, teams that you know Blitzer is invested in solely, who are also a part of this mix, right? So um, it's really interesting to see how all of those are sort of working together. Even though commanders aren't under the HBSE umbrella technically, you know they're all still working. And it's crazy to me. I I, I wonder some days what a day with like Josh uh, take it a Tuesday when he's trading. James Harden, PJ Tucker, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, all within hours of each other. It's, you know, I, I'm curious what, what a day is like that over there. So it's. Uh, was it was it your story where Josh mentioned how much he's working? I read somewhere he, that he's working like 90 hours a week now or something yeah, like that. Like, yeah, just, he mentioned that in, at the Economic Club. Incomprehensible amount of, amount of hours right now. I know. Well, Josh says he likes to work, so he's certainly doing that. Amazing. No so, so, so let me, I'll put you on the hot seat here on a few things. One, uh, Commander's name, what do you think? Do you think that the name sticks around, or do you think this group goes a different direction at some point? I think the name ends up staying. Okay. I do, th- I do think, if, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, but I do, <laughs> I I. I think the name ends up staying, but you know, I know that they have, you know, gone out, tested out, right. See, but we know the last name's not coming back and they've made that very of clear, course, but, yeah, that um, seems clear, yeah. um, and I'm sure why, you know, if you spend $6 billion on a, you know, on an asset, it's, it's, it's hard not to reconsider every aspect, including the name. Right. Yeah. So, but, but I do think the name is going to end up staying, but yeah. we, we shall, we shall see. Okay. And then stadium, uh, I know there's a bunch of different locations. There's different time frames. Um, when this team moves, uh, where do you think that stadium is and, and roughly what year do you think? Wow. Well, I definitely think by 2030, yeah. I think there will be, the commanders will be 
maybe even a year or two inside of I mean, what do we got right now? The Titans are scheduled for 27. And the Bills so, are the same year, maybe, or a year before? Yeah, perhaps? so yeah. I would say, yeah, by 2030, they should be comfortable in their new yeah. place. But, um, yeah, I know, no, I know everything's on the table. And all three jurisdictions have raised their hand to be like, hey, come, uh, come over here. And, you know, so I think the best public partnership that they can get, I think, and you know Josh, and you've seen his uh, – you know, kind of the way he invests and just being careful and that sort of um, getting, you know, getting the most value, right? I think that's just important to him. So I think that's going to probably what comes down to it at the end of the day. Um, obviously other things, but I think that's going to be really key. I think I know a lot of people would love to see RFK Stadium. Uh, you know, I talked to uh, Mark Ripon about this. Uh, a lot of people who played at RFK would love to see the commanders come back. But there's a lot of questions uh, about the infrastructure of that site and obviously the surrounding neighborhoods as well. So, and, you know, Josh grew up and him and Mark, uh, Ian and um, others grew up going to RFK. So yeah. I'm sure that would be nice to them to come back there. But at the same time, it's you got to get the best business opportunity too. So, And then one more for you. Last year, commanders were dead last in NFL attendance, about 58,000 fans a game. Right now they're 28th in the 38 or the 32 team league at 64, so there's 6,000 more fans per game. Uh, I think you and I both agree that will go up. Uh, true or false? Next season, so in 2024 NFL season, this team is in the top half of NFL attendance. In the top half. Top eight. Top 18. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll say top 18. Okay, I yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, I think they're going to – and, you know, Jason Wright mentioned to me in the next – in two off seasons, they hope revenue-wise, local revenue-wise, to be right in that middle of the pack. Okay. So I think that the projections within the next couple of years to be, you know, to be where everybody else is, and you know, instead of kind of where they are now. So I think that's sort of the – you know, attendance is up 30% right now, but I, I – yeah. But, you know, and that's a reflection of – Obviously, new ownership, but the team itself. Of course, too. that's the big uh, variable, right? If, if this know, team is good, people will come, and if, and if right, it's not, I think they're they're still struggling a bit. Uh, the Commanders, but you know, I think it looks like they're going in rebuilding mode as well. But yeah, man, we'll 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 see how that shakes out. This has been fun, Eric. People can obviously find your work at Sportico, and and we'll have you back on at some point. But I do want to talk for a second about uh, a, a video series that you do at Sportico, Business Beyond the Game. Uh, publishing weekly interviews, video series about uh, athletes and executives. What, what, what the, the fun, interesting kind of side business uh, opportunities, the, the, the new sports economy is kind of the way I think about what you're doing. Uh, tell the folks what, uh, what that looks like and, and maybe some highlights of some interviews you've had recently. Yeah, no, I think, uh, so Business of the Game weekly video cast, um, which is crazy. It's been like over five months already, which is, flown by it's been it's been a lot of fun every friday so right different executives and uh different executives and athletes current former um from a range of different sports and leagues and you know sometimes the the conversations are vary sometimes from their own personal triumphs and losses in business to their latest sort of endeavors right so i think it's uh it's a space for for hopefully people can walk away listeners if you're a marketer right maybe getting a piece of marketing advice from someone you know uh in the space who's doing it at a high level or 
you know, if you're if you work with athletes and kind of understanding how they are. Uh, approach brand partnerships and maybe you can get a nugget off that. Right. So I think every op- episode hopefully offers just a, a little nugget that the, the viewer can, um, or the listener can, can take away. So yeah, man, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, it's, it's been a lot of random guests at times. Sometimes there's not a, a lot of uh, rhyme or reason, but, um, but yeah, I think what it's been like, what, we had Toto Wolf recently, and I, I always tell Scott that I wish we had more athletes on this show. Um, you get big, big names, right? You, you had Dwayne Wade on recently. You had Malcolm Jenkins on recently. Um, I, I think the, the 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 shows of yours that I think I've enjoyed the most are, are the athlete ones, just because I think it's kind of it's still rare to to get a big A-list athlete to sit down yeah. and talk not about the, the, the sport that he or she played. You had the Cavender twins on recently. Right. Not about that, but talk about the, the business opportunities that they see. And there's so much fascinating stuff happening in, in current and, and former athlete. We talked about magic earlier. Yeah. The, the business opportunities there. It's, it's great to see them have a long form opportunity to, to have that conversation. Well, Evan, you know, like athletes are, of today, the modern athlete, it's just it's the different than 20, 30 years ago. I mean, these are walking CEOs of their own brands, right? So I think as we get closer to that and people understand that, I think this platforms like uh, Business Beyond the Game allow them to, you know, kind of share their, their, you know, their, their prowess, right, in business. I think some athletes don't get enough credit for um, how knowledgeable they are. And, you know, I think, I think we can share more light on that through the program and, um, yeah, I love the convergence of sports and entertainment as well, and where we're going. Athletes uh, are more connected to fans more than ever. You see them launching their own production companies, and you see them, um, you know, investing in really front-facing consumer products directly with their fans too. So, um, yeah, the modern athlete is just so much different. And you know, Magic would agree with this, and others. You know, um, it's just a different space now, and I, I, I think we have to look at athletes just a, a little bit. Uh, you know, they, I think there was a time when athletes just go to practice and they would go home. Yeah. Right. You go to, you go to practice and you go home. Yeah. Now they're spending that time now doing so many other things from marketing campaigns to, you know, doing their own production meetings to leading their own personal teams of portfolio companies. It's just, uh, it's just a different time. Dwayne Wade, when, when you talked to him, said said two things to you that I that I still think about sometimes, and I think every athlete should think about. One, he said, if you have an opportunity to be in the room when decisions are made, even if you're not the one making the decisions, you should jump at that opportunity every time. And the second thing he said is that just because you are an athlete and maybe didn't get a business degree or maybe don't know right. so much about this doesn't mean that you don't have thoughts that are extremely valuable and are maybe better than the thoughts of the people that, that did get that degree and have been in this world for a long time. And I think that's super poignant that like, I, th- I think a lot of athletes think of they're intimidated by the business world. Right. And think that because they don't have the ec- the educational pedigree or the experience in that world that they are, going to be dramatically outmatched. And I think people like Dwayne, who's an investor in the jazz an investor in, in, in the WNBA team in Chicago. Um, I, I think he is a uh, hearing him say that I think would, would really resonate with a lot of athletes who are maybe intimidated by that exact thing. Yeah, no, a lot. I've talked to so many athletes, right? You, you know, a little insecure, right? You didn't go to Wharton, right? You didn't, you know, so I know a lot of athletes, you feel a little weird about it. And, but and some of them even regret not taking the time with limited partners and owners because when you're a pro athlete NFL, you you have access to some of the biggest and brightest minds in business who are you know on ownership or 
you know, other aspects of local communities and, you know, dignitaries. So, you know, I think more athletes now are getting it where they're like, all right, I need to take advantage of this time and I need to, you know, pick the brain of some of these people who I'm around who are, you know, highly intelligent and, you know, know things in spaces that they don't know, quite frankly, right? So I think that's kind of the mindset shift we're seeing with the modern athlete. I'll, I'll end it with a quick story on, on that exact point. The I was at an event uh, earlier this year where um, a marketing executive was talking about the uh, Katie Ledecky Got Milk ad campaign, the one where she swam across the pool with the milk on her head. And the, the way that swimmers swim, that their heads don't move. She's able to swim across the entire pool with a, with a glass of chocolate milk on her head <laughs> that doesn't spill. And it was not – it was her idea that they kind of got her in a pool. They were brainstorming some things, and she was like, what if I just swim across the pool with, with the milk on my head and it doesn't spill? And the, 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 the well-experienced, well-educated marketing people just had no idea that that was a thing, right? Yeah. And, and it turned out to be this really indelible ad. I remembered it when they were talking about it. Um, and that was an idea of hers, right, that, that nobody there was going to come up with except for the person who had been in the pool that understood exactly how all that stuff works. So, yeah, I think from a, from a creative standpoint, from a business standpoint, there's so much that a lot of athletes have to offer that um, I think just, just starting to be unlocked and, and business behind the game is a good place place for people who are curious about that uh, to learn more. Eric, this was fun. Uh, we'll have you back on at some point soon for sure. He is Eric Jackson. He's on Twitter at EP Jackson. I am Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Aaron Greenewald. Thank you very much to Aaron. Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can follow the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.